Good Thursday afternoon. Welcome to a football show here. Of course, brought to you by Sinker's Beverages and the Kingston Group. He is Zach Lyons. I am Braden Gall, and we've got a lot of stuff to get to today. Also, a programming note for Monday, so we'll get to that in just a second. The Heisman Trophy will be announced on Saturday evening. I'm not sure, Zach, if you think it's going to be all that uh, interesting what actually happens on Saturday night. Uh, we shall see. We'll get into that. I, I, I will tell you this. Spoiler alert. I never think the Heisman Awards are interesting. <laughs> That's you're, I don't. I don't think you're alone uh, in in thinking that. Um, so, of course, we'll we'll get to a preview of the Dolphins game on Monday night. Um, the the whole double header, and then there's flex scheduling coming up with 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 Monday Night Football. So ESPN's going to have some great games. Uh, but yes, of course, Titans Dolphins will preview that game today on the show, and and then Monday instead of our regularly scheduled time at one o'clock, we will be on immediately after the game a la the Pittsburgh Steelers game, instantaneous reaction after the Dolphins win. So the next time we'll talk to you guys will be after, uh, sorry, did I say Dolphins win? I meant Titans win. <laughs> That's what I meant to yeah, say. Sure. Uh, after the Titans game, uh, whatever may happen on Monday evening. So we'll be we'll be joining you guys uh, on Monday night. So stay tuned for that. Uh, exciting stuff. And of course, uh, second half offensive issues. That's going to be the main part of the show today. You took a deep dive statistically into every aspect of the Tennessee Titans, and we'll take and we'll take you through that journey, and and land on some conclusions about what is going I on really, with the Titans second half. It was two thousand nine hundred and eighty-eight words, <laughs> and I and I got done, and I saw the word count, and I go, "Can I find twenty-three words?" Because I want to be over three thousand. But I was just like, "Ah, fuck it, screw it." <laughs> um, either way. Worth the read, stackingtheinbox.com. So we'll we'll dive into that conversation today uh, on the show. Again, game plan preview for the Dolphins matchup. Prayer, prayer, lots of prayers. I, I don't know. Like that's the, that's the game plan. We'll get into that. Uh, and of course, the whole PR strategy of the Tennessee Titans in general, not necessarily just with what's taking place over the last few weeks, but in general, the strategies and the deployment of information from Rand Carthon, Mike Vrabel. Uh, Teron Davenport's large, large, large piece in at, on ESPN, getting a sit-down interview with two guys uh, that apparently are best friends who work together every morning. Apparently, so um, that's not but, what that said. But there's some timing uh, issues that we need to discuss. But there's also kind of a larger strategy. I think that's that's interesting. There's also a few tidbits in there that I have questions about in in Teron's story. So we'll get into all of that today. Um, that being said, Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group, our two great sponsors. Uh, again. If you're sitting around watching ball this weekend and you want some booze delivered right to your house because you're smart and you don't drink and drive, you just search Uber Eats, type in sinkers, and they will deliver whatever you choose. You just pick out what you want. You put it into the cart. You guys know how to use a smartphone, I think, at this point. It's 2023. Uh, and you send it right to your house. They drive so you can drink. There you go. There you go. Drink and they drive. It's great. Uh, it's great. Now, the selection is also spectacular. Uh, as well, if you want bourbon, they've got great bourbon selection. If you want beer, they got a huge walk-in beer cooler. I, I don't know really a whole lot about wine, but that's what my wife drinks. So I go in there and I go, look, she wants a light red. Give me some light reds that are about this amount of money. And he takes me to the, the spot in the store. And he says, this is the one you want. You want to try this one? I say, boom. I take it home. The wife drinks it and she goes, that was delicious. And I said, thank you. And I take all the credit. So thank you, Sickers, for, for giving me all, all the goodwill with the wife. Um, and of course, Kingston Group, buildkg.com. Uh, of course, if you have any big issues with your house or you're about to sell your house or you're about to buy a house, you're going to do a renovation. You want, you're thinking about doing a renovation. 
If you're thinking about thinking about doing a renovation, just make sure you talk to the Kingston Group first, buildkg.com, and go check out their social accounts. You can see their work there. I think it speaks for itself. It's spectacular. It's as good as anything you'll see on these home renovation shows. In fact, I think it's better. So uh, it's like home reno. I'm not going to use that word. I'll just, I don't think Kingston Group wants that word in the in the ad read there, so to speak. So I'll just change change where I'm going with this. Just go go look at their Instagram account. Go look at their Twitter account. It's pretty cool stuff. So, uh, And the website's pretty good, too. Buildkg.com. All right. Um, before we get into uh, there's a couple of pieces of information that I think you need to know when consuming and reading Teron Davenport's piece uh, about Rand Carthon and, 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 and Mike Vrabel's relationship. Number one, the interview was conducted on November 9th, which was three days before the Tampa Bay game, uh, where they played terrible football, before the Jacksonville game, before the Diana Rossini report that Mike Vrabel is not going anywhere, and before the Greg Bedard report that said there's that raised some questions about how, how they're working together. Um, hey, and but after the Patriots uh, hall of fame or ring of honor thing. So the most, one of the most important pieces, pieces of information here is that Teron Davenport probably didn't decide when this was going to go up. He probably didn't. Certainly the Titans did not. Um, they well, said, well, listen, ESPN pushed it three times last week. Right. He went on his podcast, uh, talking with TD said it was going to be out on Thursday. Oh, Friday. And then on Thursday, he went on uh, Stillman's show, and they pushed it back to <laughs> Saturday. And then on Friday, yep. he went on Robbie and Rex Road, and then told us it was going to be on Tuesday. <laughs> so, again, so all ESPN. there's a lot of things at play here. There's a large-scale, big-picture PR strategy from the Tennessee Titans. We can have that conversation. There is a media conversation about why, you know, the, the Tehran versus with ESPN and his editors. And when they decided, I don't know why ESPN decided to wait and sit on it for as long as they did. Maybe it's because of all this other stuff that's been taking place, but because all this stuff has come out and now this story comes out and it's this Kumbaya Rand and Mike love each other kind of story that it looks like it's a reaction to all of the news that has been coming out. And the average fan is going to read it and go, Oh, they're just saying all this shit because they've been getting all this stuff in the press. It's important to note again. Remember, Tron talked to these talked to Random Mike a long time ago. So I find it very interesting. Uh, but perception is reality, Zach. And the vast majority of people that read this aren't going to know all those details. They're not going to know all the times that Tron wanted thought this was going to go live on on the dot com. I do have a, and then there's a third conversation, which is there's some things in the story that I go, wait a second. Why is Rand Carthon taking 11 and a half months to get to know his coach? Like uh, there's a, you know, there's other things in the story we can talk about too. So um, I, I just, that's, a, that's really what it would have said in there at all. Um, but I will say this, most fans have taken a different approach than what you think they're taking. Most fans, I mean, when TD posted the, the, th the thing, there was a bunch of, I knew that there wasn't anything wrong with the Tennessee Titans. I knew all that stuff was fake all through his replies and all this stuff. And so it went complete opposite of what you would assume people. I think people in the media are more likely to take it like you think. Like, oh, well, I think everybody's going to assume that this is a direct response. Because, I mean, until this morning, until Joe Rexrode said that he talked to Tehran, and you have also talked to Tehran, that it w I felt like it was a direct response. And then come to find right. out that it was before the Tampa Bay game. I mean, it kind of renders... A lot of this stuff, it's it 
doesn't really change anything for me because here's what I got out of it. And it's been kind of my takeaway from this whole thing anyway, is that you got two people who have never worked together, who have no prior working relationship, trying to find what works for them. Whether that is the power structure or communication, the way of doing things, the way of com- the the particular language used, the processes in place, they're they're figuring each other out. They're in a very much a um, it's like you just moved in with your ex girlfriend and you're trying to figure out what you can get away with, who puts up the dishes and stuff like that. How do you like guys like your, you know, uh, what cabinet are we going to use? And why are you moving in with your ex girlfriend? Oh, well, whatever. Anyway, um, so I get I look at it and I go, okay. so Rand says it's Mike Vrabel's team. When you think of the Titans, you think of Mike Vrabel. I got to learn to work with Mike Vrabel or I got to figure everything out. Okay, so it's Mike Vrabel's team. So we're confirmed. That is confirmed out of Rand's mouth to your ears or to Tehran's typing keyboard. This is Mike Vrabel's team. Mike Vrabel Vrabel has final say. That is nothing new. We all expected it this whole time. We assumed that that was going to be the case no matter what GM they brought in. They're working for Mike Vrabel. Okay, no big deal. My confusion really lies with the whole Kevin Byard part of the story is just so fucking weird to me. The, the, The trade is announced at the trade deadline, right near the trade deadline, 2.30 that day. On October 23rd, it is made official and announced by the Tennessee Titans at eight o'clock that night. So October 20th, the press conference is 11 a.m. the next day, October 24th. He's still faxing stuff to the he's still writing letters, doing paperwork. No. He's just not going out there and answering the questions. And and to me, that's fine. But that tells me that that this was a Mike Vrabel initiated trade, a Mike Vrabel approved trade, and Mike Vrabel felt that he needs to be the one to stand out there and take the question because he bears the shoulder or the bears the majority of the responsibility. But it's just weird. It's weird to put that in there because it makes it makes Rand sound like, well, I can't trust Chad Brinker to do this, or I can't trust you know twenty year vet Vin Marino to do this. I have to be. I have to do the secretary work. That's what it sounds like. Uh, well, so no, yes, I completely agree with your your first point in that, and, and and somebody in the comments already, Ed says, "Puff piece, why not use Wyatt to put out that story?" If I if I just use that phrase, that's not what I might I I shouldn't I should rephrase that. I I think Teron did a, a a fine job reporting this and getting the interview, but Jim Wyatt is if Jim Wyatt writes the story, it's going to be viewed a certain way because he's he he's he works for the team. I think Tehran has not been told how to write this story. Tehran can write whatever he wants to write, and that that's the that is a huge that's a huge difference. Um, I, I I agree with you on that part, and I think there's another quote that's even earlier in the story where it basically said Rand says uh, I'm not an ego person, so I don't care about control. Who has the final say? Yeah, that creates Vrabel dissen- has the final say. Right. That creates dissension. <laughs> Miss Amy trusts us to do our jobs. I think it's pretty clear who's who's making the decisions on this, yeah. and I think that 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 piece explained it. The and thing I was right, exactly. The thing I was getting at with the learning your team is, he, and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but he basically is like, ultimately, this kind of gets to a Rand Carthon public relations strategy because this doesn't make the Titans look good either that it came out when it did because it looks like they're being super reactionary. Uh, if you're a fan who just reads this stuff and goes hook, line, and sinker onto it, then you're that's fine. You can be like that. Um, but I don't, I don't think 
most fans are like that. I think they understand that there's some working growing pains here and that's okay. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be success. Again, the guy's first draft class has been excellent so far. The vast majority of the free agents have been high value in terms of value and acquisition and productivity, pretty solid. Like the guy's job so far to build a team better than what it was when he got here, it's been, been good. The one line about how he's got to still like learn what a Mike Vrabel coach team looks like and feels said, like and says, sounds I like. I needed, I needed to learn what it's going to take to play for Mike, a Mike Vrabel coach team. I needed. Doesn't say he needs to still, or okay, I still so, gotta. I needed. I got the exact quote right up here. Okay, well that to me, I I don't know. Again, like. If, if that's still it, it sounds like your uh, your your assumption is that that's past tense and as it's written and that he's no longer doing any of that i think if you're if you're and i'm sure there is still some things he's learning i mean you're not going to know every i've learned shit about my wife every day new shit about my <laughs> wife every day it's it's but this that's of course it's what it was going to be like you're a new gm with no ties to mike vrabel and this coach no ties to this team of course you're going to have to learn what's going to take to play for mike vrabel I understand a first-time general manager curating his public persona very carefully. I, I get I get that. I think it's gone way too far on all of this. I think there's so many things, and Vrabel doesn't do himself favors in this department either. I think there's so many ways to sort of let the steam off the out of the pot or the air out of the balloon or pick a pick a cliche that you want to use. Like Rand does the press conference for Kevin Byer trade. Rand does the press conference for other things. Rand is a little bit more available, helps helps the way things are are viewed through the lens of, of the fan base and the media. And again, I just think, you know, the way that all the leaks happened around the trade deadline and the combine and the draft and all that. It's like there's just a lot of things that maybe he could he could polish up a little bit. Um, yeah. And that's a little that, that is kind of that is kind of kind of what it is. Um, I, I do think that Mike Vrabel could also help this process out and just like make a fucking joke about the weather in new England. Just, just go, step to the po podium and be like, Oh God, the weather's terrible this time of year in new England. Who would want to live there? Like, just say that at a press conference and we'll, and, we'll, we'll workshop that. Cause that's a horrible joke. It's not meant to be, it's not meant to be funny. It's meant to, it's meant to dispel the rumors in like a lighthearted way. So that every time like you and I sit on here and go, well, there's rumors that the Patriots might want to be trading for Mike Vrabel. But it's like, well, he kind of always alludes to the fact that he likes it down here in Nashville better. And it does. You kind of does that make sense? Like you have to include. Yeah, but then uh, then you're so. going to have to force him to lie through all that, because obviously <laughs> he loves Boston more than Nashville. Look, does he? At the end does of the he? day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's up to Carthon to figure out how to best do his job to Vrabel's liking. But also, Vrabel's got to start realizing the experience of Carthon and the value in trusting him more to do his job without micromanaging. And that's that, to me, is where we're at, is yeah. that Vrabel's got to trust Carthon enough to do his job. And Carthon is in the process of what it seems, and will constantly be learning new things about what Mike Vrabel wants, what Mike Vrabel needs as the team evolves and changes over the next few years, it's it's like we've always said. There's not, we're not saying that it can't get ever get fixed. It's just it was not. It's off to it was at least off to a rocky start, and it still seems that there is some. They're still in a feeling out phase of sorts. I, I guess the and that's where ultimately my point about the timing of this is. Like 
I, I, I understand the human element of this, that it takes people time. But like, I, if you're a professional general manager candidate in the NFL level, it shouldn't take you 11 months to feel some shit out. You, you should you should figure that out in a couple of weeks. Like if you need to know what the business culture is or how to work with people or how to communicate, I understand some of those things can take some time. Um, but again, I, I just think that that like that we're, we're, we're pretty far down the road here for, for them to still be trying to figure out how to like work together. I, I think that's, I understand. I, I don't think so. Oh, that's fair. I, I don't, we, I don't we, think so. I, I think, I think that. that's, well, I, I think that's, that's something that comes with time as a, as a business owner and stuff, hiring a general manager and learning to work with them, especially someone that I never knew. Uh, hiring sales employees, it takes time to get everything and work out the kinks. And I know maybe everything needs to be accelerated in the NFL. Uh, but for their first off season as a whole, whatever they did worked more often than not. So it's just going to get better as it goes on. And, and once, and once some of these scout contracts expire, um, and some of these, uh, J Rob loyalists get out of the building, I think that I think there was a lot of people that were loyal to J Rob. The more I think about it and the more I get removed from some of the stuff that got leaked out over the summer, I think there's a lot of loyalists from J Rob that are leaking this stuff to make Rand look bad. And that's just kind of it's my little conspiracy theory and my little my little own little world. But that's what I'm kind of feeling. And I feel like once those guys are outside the building, whew, well, take off and listen. Uh, you gotta let contracts expire, I guess, because Amy's cheap. I don't know. She well, doesn't want to pay ha- two scouts or something like that. I don't know. But either way, Rand's people are not fully in the system yet. Right. And once Rand has more people in the system, we're looking good. Right. Which also raises the question: Why didn't that happen after the draft? Like I would say that yeah, that's a sounds good- like that's, that sounds like to me from what I've heard from so. other people that it is a business financial decision based from someone on high. Well, that's if it's about the money, that's ridiculous because the scouts aren't yeah, exactly making like, million, like the scouts aren't so, making a million dollars a pop. I will say I that almost almost you. almost all the reporting on this has come from outside of the building, though. And a lot of those John Robinson guys that you might be talking about are also Mike Rabel people as well. Some of them. So there, there could be there's, some overlap. There's, there's plenty of overlap. So what's interesting again, I think what's interesting is that ran and i i assume maybe next year or at some time during this offseason like even in the story he's like oh i I like to do everything on background this is mike grable's time of year in the middle of a long sit down publicly orchestrated article about your relationship with the coach during the season so even that's funny you know how everybody complained that ran sat down with the atlanta journal constitution guy um behind a paywall ron actually put in the uh request to talk to ran so it sounds like maybe a little bit of the media needs to start doing a little bit more uh, groundwork, I guess I would say, or legwork. I, uh, I would also say this. Can I say this? Uh, this is a totally different subject, but tied to local media. I am going to be so, so fucking glad when Derek Henry does not have to do another Titans presser. It will be a glorious day for my ears because I am so sick of the ridiculous lame questions that they asked Derrick Henry week in and week out every year. I mean, some of the questions today that he got asked, you know, (laughs) I mean, what's your favorite memory as a Tennessee Titan? Do you remember who the first person was that put a crown on your head? Was he in a hospital? Time Someone gave you a jelly bean like this. These fucking ridiculous questions. I will be so happy. 
so happy that there will never be a Derrick Henry when there's never going to be a Derrick Henry press conference again because they ask the same ridiculous questions. They ask no questions of substance to these players, and it and it drives me insane that they don't yeah. ask Derrick Henry anything of substance. Ugh, it's the worst. It's the worst you- press conference they do every year. Couple of comments here, uh, Green Thumb. Another reason that Amy Adams is not firing Vrabel, she's not going to pay two HCs and two GMs. No, that's not what would happen. Uh, what yeah. what, what yeah. would happen is they would fire Vrabel and then Ran would hire the general manager. And I don't think anyone right now, inside or outside of the building, fan or or Titan, wants that to be the case. I think I they would think be stupid to get rid of Vrabel. They'd be stupid. You're misinterpreting what she's saying, or he. I, can't, I think Avening, I, I, sorry, Green Thumb. She's saying that because they're still paying John Robinson right now. Uh, John okay. Robinson, so, but Mike Vrabel would get a job, and that whatever he gets paid there offsets whatever gotcha. they owe him. Gotcha. Yeah, so yeah, that's that that's sense. what they're trying to say right there. Uh, D. Good says they are still in the growing pains phase. That is where Zach and I, it sounds like, disagree. I I don't I don't think that should still be happening. Eleven months into being one of thirty-two general managers in the NFL doesn't mean there aren't going to be things you have to learn and get better at. But like, and I get it. It's a first time job for him. But like, he's you. You have to know at week twelve, it ha- week it thirteen, happened with the Bears, eleven it months happened in. With the Vikings, they all went through their growing their growing pain phase and all that kind of stuff, and still learning out. You can go read all kinds of articles about it. So it's not very uncommon. It, maybe it's not, but higher, there's still you have a higher standard. There's still there's still stuff that's coming out in a strange, weird way. Some of that is all outside of our market. And outside of their control yeah. and our control, and it's important to note that as well that some of this is all coming from Boston and New England and the Crafts and the Patriots and you know other media sources and other sources outside of their control. Times PR has been a disaster for decade. I mean, it's been one of my biggest complaints about this team is that they have no clue how to handle anything and no foresight into how to and no foresight no activeness they're not proactive they've always been reactive yes and sometimes yes. they're not active at all and that is a that's not a technically a that that is a pr department and ownership thing in in my book like someone's got to get that all fixed and get that all changed and i will never be able to get a media credential for the tennessee titans because i bad mouth <laughs> the person that is supposed to give out the media credentials but they're just they're they're just kind of well, sitting on their hands more often than not and look i like i know robbie personally so it's not robbie's fault that Rand carthon doesn't come out for the kevin byard press conference that is a Rand carthon decision it so, depends on how much he's pushing for it uh, well that i there is a power structure and the head of PR cannot make the general manager in any NFL office do anything they don't want to do. I think this is on the general manager to sort of evolve and adapt a little bit and learn how to message better. Like just again, PR is not the most important job. The most important job is drafting players and signing free agents. And if that hadn't been great right now through 12 games, we'd be having a very different conversation (laughs) because so far the draft class is very good and the free agents look like good value. Aziz Alshair looks like a good value decision. Arden Key looks like a solid value decision. Andre Diller, eh, pretty bad. Sean Murphy Bunting, solid value decision. And he's got a whole lot more work to do in the offseason. He also has some work to do in sort of cultivating his PR strategy. And when he figures that out, maybe that's what he's still working on. Um, I This story coming out at this time after all this news is not a good look for anybody. It just, it just isn't. And it's not real. It's not necessarily real. 
it should have come out three weeks ago and then nobody would say anything. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so it, it is what it is. Uh, anyway, let, let's talk about second half offenses and will Levis. We'll get to a preview of the Dolphins game. Uh, but you did so much work on this that I think um, I think it's worth diving into the, the this whole thing. So I don't want to give too much away here because I want you to you to shine here. Big Zach, uh, go to Sinkers Beverages and the Kingster Group, of course, please shop at Sinkers and their sister store, Bluegrass up in Hendersonville. Uh, both places, liquor store of the year, two times in a row, Sinkers Beverages, back-to-back champs. So make sure you go there. Yeah, they got great selections of everything you could possibly want. Tons of tequilas, tons of bourbons. Vodka is basically vodka, but they have a lot of it. Uh, wine and beer and all kinds of cool stuff. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll get in there. So um, go to Sinkers and then Kingston Group, BuildKG.com, uh, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm, award-winning, I might add. So when you went into... like. There's a lot of different things you evaluated. You can evaluate a lot of you can you can evaluate receivers. You can evaluate play calling. You can evaluate offensive linemen. You can evaluate running game. You can evaluate the quarterback. You can evaluate a lot of things. You did it all, Zach. And what was ultimately your conclusion about why the Tennessee Titans are struggling in the second half with Will Levis as the quarterback? So, let me ask you this. If if I if, based off just watching the games at home, that's normally how you do it, right? You just watch on your TV the broadcast or whatever. And because we kind of talked about this for the last couple of weeks, and I've talked about it with Stony and everything else as well, but we're just kind of like, what is this issue in the second half? And we're kind of thinking it's like Tim Kelly and stuff. And I, I think I would rank it like offensive line, Tim Kelly wide receivers and Will Levis. Like, how would you have ranked it before reading my piece? So I've always been more pro Tim Kelly than you. Um, and, and a lot of the... And, During and this East, Levis time. Yeah, and Easton, when he filled in for you, he was kind of critical of Tim Kelly as well. I would have probably gone offensive line one, Will Levis two, receivers three, Tim Kelly four. That would probably be okay. my order. I'll see now, based on all this research, I do Tim or Will Levis one, Offensive line two, wide receivers three, Tim Kelly four. So I'd put Tim Kelly back on there. And, okay. and I mean, I, I can readily admit that after starting to do the research, going back and watching the film, and because I would rewatch some games and stuff, and I'm like, okay, I, I just assumed that kind of like that Tim Kelly must be limiting the playbook or it must be calling the wrong plays or he's doing this and he's doing that. And you go back and watch and there's still guys getting schemed open. I mean, we're talking. I I'll have some research coming up probably next next week, but I'm looking at you know they're facing a lot of zone and they're being very successful in zone. He's scheming up plays and these wide receivers that are open, and he's taking advantage of that. Except for the quarterback's not taking advantage of it. And then I'm like, okay, well maybe it's the offensive line. It's got to be the offensive line's got to be number one, right? And listen, because we're talking about the team's performance, we're not talking about their performance versus the rest of the NFL. We are, we're taking a vac the team in a vacuum. We are taking this offense in a vacuum, right? Cause I, I didn't do really any rankings except for one little section, but it, it's, we're, we're talking about, does the team get better in the second half or get worse in the second half? Cause they're playing the same opponent, these games, right? It's not like, you know, you have one appointment, the opponent in the first half <laughs> and you have a different opponent unless, in the second half, unless the NFL has drastically changed their style yeah. of scheduling. No, it, so your point is, is that this is not relative to the rest of the NFL. This is not relative to the Titans, rest of the NFL. Second half Titans. 
Yeah, because you look if you look at it, the offensive line gets better in the second half. Now that and is they the most- pass more and they have a higher pass rate in the second half. So that is what is mind boggling to me. Like it goes <laughs> and listen, it's still bad, right? We're talking about it goes from a 46.7% pressure rate to a 39.6% pressure rate. An 11.3% sack rate to a 6.9% sack rate. And that's really all because of the two tackles. The interior offensive line gets way better in the in the second half. Jalen Duncan gets better in the second half. It's Dylan Reigns that gets worse in the second half. But <laughs> those numbers go down and you're passing more, right? So the rate even though you're passing more, your rate is better. So it's not necessarily the offensive line, even though it's bad, is staying bad. It's way worse in the so first half. And they're just, way better. I want to kind of work through each piece of this and make sure we clear. Yeah. Like, offensive line, first half during the Will Levis time frame, not the Ryan Tannehill mm-hmm. time frame, but Will right. Levis. The pressure rate, the pass rate, and the what's the, what was the first one? The forty six to thirty nine. What was the first one you said? That's pressure rate. Okay, pressure rate and sack rate. Pressure rate, sack rate, and the number of times they're throwing the football. All there's more times throwing the football, more protected in the second half. The offensive line gets yeah. better in the second half on passing situations. It, it, now I'm talking about passing rates because we are just talking about one hundred and six dropbacks versus one hundred and two dropbacks. So it's not that big of a difference. But the rate of passes right. on these drives is higher. Um, so, I mean, they're passing more, getting protected more. So I'm like, okay, well, it's got to be the wide receivers thing, right? It's got to be, it's got to be the wide receivers. Well, they're not very, they're, they're they not just great. came off a bunch of drops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just got a bunch of drops, right? Well, he suffers the same rate of drops in the first half and as the second half. So it doesn't matter if it's first or second, he's seeing the same amount of dro- rate of drops over these last six games. Okay. Well, maybe it's because, you know, they're not getting open or whatever. Well, you look at the completion percentage over expected. That includes the drops, right? So, like your complete next gen stats is the best completion percentage over expected that I'm going to start using here on because I've done some research this week. And they use the tracking data of wide receiver separation of the defender and all this stuff. And even if you drop it, they still have an expected completion percentage rate, right? They they expect you. They expected Will Levis. In the Colts game, for example, to be 63.3% completion rate. He was 14.8, he was 48.5. So there was a 14.8 difference. That is from him. That is a him issue because that is, they expected him to get 63.3. If you took drops out of it, he and said, like, if everything went perfectly, he'd have been 69.4. So, like, here, nice. easy way to put it. What it is, this is for this is for this season, okay? For his six games. He's currently sitting at 57.8% completion percentage. It's expected he should be at 63.4. If everything went perfect, it's it's 69.4. So, like, that is where we're at is, like, if everything went perfect, he should have a 69.4 completion percentage through these six games. But that is a big difference in just what is expect in between what is expected and what it is. And if you look at the second half, Braden, it is 63.7% completion percentage in the first half. In the second half, it drops to 52.1%. That is 12%. an insane yeah. Amount of droppage between two between a half. 
So I want to ask you the follow up is going to be so like, why is that happening? But I want to get to that in a second because I want to again, I want to right as a the offensive line is slightly better, still not great, but slightly better at protecting the quarterback in the second halves than they are in the first halves over these six games. The receivers are dropping passes at the exact same rate with which they drop them in the first half. So the receivers are not they're not changing. The scheme is putting them in positions to make plays, get open, separation about the same in the first half and in the second half. So we're starting same to playbook. We've, we've eliminated all the variables here. Um, and the last one, and this is like the thing that comes to my mind was the, the, the Panthers game, 17 points in the first half, none in the second half. They figure out a way to win. But I think it was like four straight third downs in a row where Will Levis made the, the a bad throw or a bad read and just missed. And I remember saying that on the show, I think it was with you. And I was like, I just saw him go like he just teams make adjustments. P- p- defensive players, it it may only take a half for a defensive player who's a really good linebacker or a really good safety or a really good pass rusher to pick up on something that all of a sudden makes them better in the second half. Like Tim Kelly's doing a good job scripting things in the first half. Like I, it's not complicated. And I think you can see it like the throw to DeAndre Hopkins this past weekend, just out of bounds, <laughs> like just a couple different times. Like there, it doesn't mean he doesn't make some really elite throws at times. He does. But I think it's, I would have voted. I would have thought offensive line for sure was worse in the second half. Cause they're in passing situations. The defense knows that. So they're pinning their ears back and they're coming yeah, after exactly. the quarterback. That's what I would have thought. Then I would have been like, well, he's missed a ton of third down throws. He against the Panthers in particular, he, you know, he's had some throws against the bucks where it should have been intercepted. You know, he had some throws against the Jags should have been intercepted. Yes, Chig dropped a pass in the end zone. That's probably, you know, I would have gone through all that stuff um, before I would have gotten to Tim Kelly. But I'm I'm more pro Tim Kelly than than probably everybody else is. And so it's it sounds well, like I mean, I'm back, I'm back to where I'm at. Like I was back okay. to where I was at the beginning of the year is that, you know, and I, I never was a fire Tim Kelly guy. I was like, open up the playbook. But now you're seeing why they're not opening up the playbook. And we're yeah. talking about in week 10 versus the uh, Buccaneers. He was 48.7% completion percentage when he should have been 64.4. He was 48.5 this last week, and he's supposed to be 63.3. Like those, when you have games like those that you were in, that's on you. Now, those are his two most dropped games as well. but But if you take up the drops, those go even higher. So you can't use drops as a as a as a full on reason. You got to use accuracy, and this is something that is going to get better. So Josh Allen, I put up Josh Allen's stats. He's trending better than Josh Allen's full season as a rookie. He's trending better in almost everything except for pressure to sack percentage, which obviously because this offensive line definitely is worse than the, yes. the Bills' offensive yes. line, and his EPA per play is low right now because he doesn't run as much as Josh Allen did. So that is where we're kind of at right now is that we're trending to see a better passer than Josh Allen. My The thing that's got to change is, I don't know if you would describe it as mental or emotional, but this idea that he's hmm. got to play hero ball. This pushing, he's pushing, pushing, and pushing instead of just taking what's coming to him. And that's been something that has been talked about by him, something that's been talked about the coaches. It's Ben, this whole, you saw it in Kentucky, he pushes. He 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 plays hero ball, and that's fine. I don't want to break him of the hero ball mentality. I want to harness that into better decision-making. Yeah, I think that's ultimately... You can play he- Listen, ask Tom Brady, you can play hero ball by Deacon and Duncan. 
Yeah, yeah. He he Damn. has he has the like he is innately like wired to be that way in a in a competitive leadership standpoint. In my opinion, I think he is wired to be like got to do something to carry my team. Got to do something. We got to get out of this. It's third and long. Yes. Oh, we're down by three. We're down like it's it is how he's wired. It's how he is made as a competitor, and I think that's a good thing. To your point, you don't want to break. I do think when you are, I think there's a, a couple positives here. Uh, rookie quarterbacks tend to throw a ton of interceptions, just in general. It's very normal. He's not doing that. Like there's been a couple that should have been intercepted, <laughs> but he's really not. And the one against Pittsburgh was sort of a required throw at that point. So like you kind of can take that one off the table even. So I think what's interesting is he is playing this. He has this instinct to be a hero and to try to do the hero ball thing. I think you're right. He needs to harness it and be a little bit more controlled with that stuff. But he's also still not making the major mistake either. Now, uh, does that make sense? Like his interception rate, I think, yeah. is better than CJ Stroud's. His completion percentage is Number the worst. One, it's, I think it's the least in it's the, the best NFL in the NFL. It's he's got the lowest completion percentage of all qualified starting quarterbacks. So that's the thing that will get better. Is he ever going to be like a Drew Brees seventy-one percent completion guy? No. That's not what he is. But can you go from 57 your rookie year to 64 for your career? Absolutely. Absolutely you can. And that might be good enough if you have the big enough arm because I think this is ultimately the point of the hero ball stuff. He still does connect on a few of those big shots. He still yeah. does give his and receivers an opportunity. And, and he's not turning the ball over while doing that. So I think we can say, look, second half offensive problems, it's on the rookie quarterback who's in his seventh start. He's missing yeah. some open receivers, making some bad reads. He's pushing the ball. He's forcing it a few times. He's a little inaccurate. All normal and natural things to be happening in your seventh fucking start. So yep. learn from it all. Keep going with it all. Obviously, you want the offensive line to get better as a whole. Tim Kelly right now, and I think Herndon said this on your show on F-Words, and I completely agree, and I've said it on this show the last thing, and this goes to Vrabel too, the last thing you want to do to Will Levis is have him have to start all over again. You have Mike Vrabel and Tim Kelly and Charles London. Keep that group intact with Will Levis. Put better pieces around him. Give him some reps, and I bet you that production goes up. Yeah, to me, you know, at the very end of this piece, I, I said I'm, you know, typing, you know, this all up, and I, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, it's all correctable. I think once Levis realizes the hero bomb mentality is not necessarily needed or learns how to harness it, you got to remember the game will slow down for him. It's, you know, I'm sure it's, he's probably, it's probably pro pretty slow compared to other rookie quarterbacks because he played in the SEC, played a pro style offense, but it will slow down for him as, as the time goes on. I think that Mike also made a really great point about, you got to remember he was splitting practices with the second and third string rep or splitting reps in those practices in the off season. So, you know, Ryan Tannehill, still, Ryan Tannehill got all the first team reps. So now he'll head into an off season where he doesn't have to worry about that. And the supporting cast will be better in 2024. So, I mean, like at the end of the day, he's got stuff to work on, but I'm still fucking hype. As long as he, <laughs> for me, it's like, as long as he keeps showing us these flashes of his arm talent, which he does every game, there's like two or three throws. You're just like, holy shit. I don't know if there's there's maybe like five quarterbacks that can make yep. that throw. Yep. And he keeps improving in critical areas that we need to see him improve in. 
And if he if he's at the end of the year trending way better than Josh Allen, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here thinking you get him a Stephon Diggs, you get him an offensive line, cook, you're cooking. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I tend to agree, and I it's okay. I think this is two things can be true. Like it's okay that he's having these problems. Like I mean, that they are his problems, but it's okay that he's having the problems right now. These are coachable. Yes. These are coachable moments in a rookie season. That are There's nothing not. that can't be fixed. Right. It's very it's fairly not. Now, I think it's also important to note, like the, the Titans certainly love the the deep ball and the big shot because he's capable of giving that to him, unlike they've that maybe Mike Rabel's ever had. Um, some of those smash routes, those corner routes that he hits to Hopkins are just absolutely perfect. I mean, they're you know, they're just insane. 22 yards down the field, opposite hash on a rope, one step before the sideline. Like that's just something that very few people can do. Um, I, the other thing is, is that it's, we talk about adjustments in a game. It's you learn how to do that as a player in the NFL. Like you learn how to go from play one to play 50 and, and learn how to beat your guy throughout the course of a game or learn tendencies of a, of a, of an opposition player throughout the course of a game. And a lot of times what a rookie quarterback will do is step in with a game plan and a scouting report. And it takes them a long time to sort of figure out how to evolve off of that scouting report throughout the course of a game. Whereas a professional safety or linebacker already knows how to adjust to tendencies that they're seeing for the first time. So he's going to learn how to adjust better in the game. And, and that's part of being just getting reps. So um, I don't think you should ever expect him to be like 68% for the rest of his career. I don't think that's, he's, he's just not a, um, I don't know what the right, again, Drew Brees is like the most accurate quarterback I can think of. He's right. never going to be that. So you kind of have to hold your upside in like that 65, 66 range. And if he can hit those numbers somewhere close to that, he's good, probably going to give you a, a good chance to win a lot of games. So um, it's all, it's all, it's all on Will Levis to adapt and evolve, but also not a huge concern. So no. I think that's where, I think that's where we're at. Uh, Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group, our title sponsor. Monday night, uh, you've got the Dolphins and the Titans down in Miami. Um, can you make the case? For the Tennessee Titans to compete and win against the top seed in the AFC. yeah, uh, all they got to do is uh, take out Tyreek Hill, uh, make sure that he you know find a, a way to maybe that he doesn't get to the stadium or something. You know, if he if you have you know outside of like these guys getting injured, I, it's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I can't mad. There is no case to make. I mean, I. I you know, 46 times, 46 minutes, time of, time I, of possession. Not, I, don't, I have nothing <laughs> for 46 minutes, time of possession, uh, 47 rushing attempts, drain the clock from the first drive and, and pray for rain. I don't know. Uh, I mean, good luck. I mean, at this, at this point, I, I don't think there is a way that this team can run the ball on them. Um, and have the success that you're looking for. It's going to be very tough. This is a good defensive front. They got, uh, they're opening up holes and run lanes for their linebackers to come crashing through that this, this offensive line is, I, I, the, the Browns game was ugly. <laughs> the, I don't know really what to say other than 
Um, you think it's going to be worse than the I Browns really game? don't have anything. Like, I, I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's 48 to 14. Like, I think oh, it's going to be shit, ugly. Really? And, and and yeah, and everybody's going to, it's going to be ugly. And everybody's going to, you know, want to fire Vrabel again. We're, and we're going to have to hear the same stuff we're going to have to hear. And we've heard the last three weeks. Uh, Shane Bowen should get fired. Uh, they should have kept David Long. Because David Long would have changed everything for this defense. It's like people aren't even watching the games if they think a linebacker is really going to change everything for this fucking defense. It ain't fucking Ray Lewis, and he ain't bringing Ed Reed with him. You know, speaking, there's nothing that David Long is going to change. Speaking you know, of like, just, speaking nothing. of speaking right, of building Tom, a win, good luck. Uh, go, yeah. go to Kingston. Let me just say this: building a win, buildkg.com. You'll you'll have more fun with them than watching the game go and hang out at buildkg.com <laughs> plan plan some house remodeling and something because the okay. only thing that you're going to be able to build a win on from this segment are the on the backs of the good people at buildkg.com because it's not going to be for the tennessee titans and flip over and watch zero the i am giving them 0.1 percent chance of winning okay. this game <laughs> okay um, well, I, now I forgot what I was, I was going to say. Speaking, oh, speaking Probably of PR, something about Monty Rice, right? Yes. Yes. Speaking of, uh, bad PR strategies, Monty fucking Rice, dude. Like it's not, it's so, first of all, uh, we'll be on again. Reminder, we'll be on after the game to react to whatever godforsaken score, uh, takes place between the Titans and the Dolphins. By the way, I think it was 45, 15 last week for the Dolphins and commanders, which I believe was a scoregami. Which is yes, means it's never, which means it's never been done before. Uh, One thousand and eighty-two different NFL scores all time. So that's kind of cool. I don't know what that means. Monty Rice, like just, I I don't know what who's in his camp or who he cares about or who rely who he relies on. He's, I, he's probably still on his fourth or fifth agent. I mean, he what, had three agents heading into the draft. Do, like, is it not like don't it, don't you in high school or college when you're like learning? to do a resume or how to do job interviews. Like, isn't there a, a part of the conversation that goes like, look, like I, look, I've been fired twice from two different companies and I'm not sure I've ever publicly told the entire story from either, either of them. You want to know why I haven't done that? Cause it's fucking stupid. <laughs> you don't go out. Like if you want to work in the business, you don't trash people publicly it doesn't make any sense I, it's just it's like pr 101 you do the whole thing like hey my, my time here was great i learned a whole lot about x y and z um, i can't wait to get back into the onto the into the weight room and train and uh, i'm looking forward to whatever opportunity comes like it's the easiest pr shit ever just say that i i enjoy the, the hot it's, chicken in nashville like i don't i mean this guy should never been drafted this is just more proof that John Robinson, you talk about Rand Carthon and Mike Vrabel trying to figure out if they're on the same page and how to get on the same page. I think the draft class shows they're on the same page. You go back and look at the 2020, 2021, 2022 draft classes, you're looking at a bunch of players that do not make sense for Mike Vrabel. I mean, more often than not, you probably got six guys out of there that you could probably label Mike Vrabel guys out of like 23. So... I mean, I John would Robinson say that, and him we're not on the same page. I, that's my ultimate takeaway from the draft classes were that there was a clear personnel decision making line of command under John Robinson, and it was John Robinson. And that this is it a was John far, Robinson talking into a mirror to yeah, John Robinson, yeah, yes, about guys that don't love football. I mean, well, this is a guy that does not love football. 
And people want to talk about, well, you know, why didn't they develop him? Well, they developed Jack fucking Gibby, and he's a he's a cracker back linebacker that fucking is unathletic as shit, but he has at least the dedication to go out and do his fucking job and try his best. I think you can tell when he talks about Jalen Duncan, when Mike Rabel talks about Jalen Duncan, we have a guy that wants to be out there. You know he wants to fight. You know he wants to do this. And then here goes Monty Rice out the door, right? That same freaking week, here goes Monty Rice out the door. And, you know, people talk about 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. guys. I One of the guy, first people I said was that it's probably Monty Rice. And really, I'm probably wrong. He's probably more of an 8, 16 a.m. to, you know, 3, 45 p.m. kind of guy. <laughs> well, this by guy, the way, can we, can is, we is tell so people? so far up his own ass, he wants everybody else to watch the tape, and everybody's posting all these bad clips out of he's only had 17 tackles. 17 tackles while he was here. Three years. So I, I suppose we should actually, uh, and I didn't even write it down because that's how stupid it was. Uh, I suppose we should actually tell people like he went, he took to Twitter and he basically, he basically, what did he say? said? Thank God. And then there was like a tape, tape don't lie or something was the second tweet or something like that. And essentially just again, you can't go out and troll your former employer and, and, and look good doing it. There's no way to look good doing it. And, and if the tape shows that you don't look good on the, on the field and then you get cut and then you go social media again, it's all PR bad PR 101. So what what not to do in a situation where you are a public figure is Monty Rice is what he did. Yeah, so. I, it's another example that players should get off social media agents and make th- make them stay off social media because he's a name searcher. He gets into people's DMs and complains and mm-hmm. threatens and all this kind of stuff. So he's a he's a he's a loser. He was a loser when he was drafted. He's a loser all right. now. All right. All right. Good, now you're making it, good making luck it in with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, when he lost out to Jack Gibby, uh, all of his high school friends said he deserved it. They went up on being, his social media. Yeah, they went up on his social media and said it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Wow. Okay. I think that that's, tells you everything you need to know about. Mark yeah. Rice. Yeah, I think it does. I think that's next level. But uh, there you have it. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, watch the game on Monday night and then come hang out with us after the game is what we're saying. Yes. Um, we won't talk shit to you. If you if you do or if you don't, so we'll come see. on by. Zach, Zach will probably talk shit to no, me, but that's I make fine. no promises. Um, all right, I can't tell you who I voted for. I'll tell you next week on Monday night after the game who I voted for. Um, but I I don't think it's going to be a very suspenseful vote. If I had to guess, um, I am curious to see what the order is. The finalists, of course, Bo Nix for Oregon, Michael Penix from Washington. Uh, you've got Marvin Harrison Jr., wide receiver at Ohio State, and Jaden Daniels, the quarterback at LSU. Uh, I do There's wish a lot of scuttlebutt out there that it's not going to be Jaden Daniels. A lot of scuttlebutt that it's Michael Penix and Marvin Harrison's, you know, they're the top two and Jaden Daniels is third. A lot of scuttlebutt wow. about that. Wow. Okay. That interesting. One of, I mean, obviously one of these guys wasn't on my ballot. Two of them were not on my ballot. Oh, well, that's interesting. That is very interesting. You know, we'll we'll find out what your ballot looked like, but I'm I'm very. I, I don't. So did think, you only put in two, or did you put in? Did you write in no, a third? You to, Do you get to write you, in a third? You, you have to write in three names, and you have to fill out three names. Um, two of them, my top two, are there in New York. My third was not. Uh, hmm. Is not one of the top four. Um, I imagine my third vote probably ends up fifth or sixth place, probably. I am a little surprised. I I I think Bo Nix was way ahead of Michael Penix. Honestly, I, I I thought in terms of their performance, in terms of how consistent they were, how outstanding they were. 
they didn't win the game because of Michael Penix. They won the game because they ran the football very well and the defense played really well uh, for Washington against Oregon. But the first game, they both they both were equally great in the first game. I thought the whole season, if if you're going to they if, win that first game because of Michael Penix Jr. to some degree, but Bo yeah. Nix and to some of it was Bo Nix didn't make a few plays on fourth down. But again, the defense got stops for Washington on a bunch of fourth downs. So mm-hmm. I think if you look at the entire body of work, the way the committee kind of does for teams, I, I'm not sure how you put Michael Penix ahead of Bo Nix. I, I don't know how you do that. Marvin Harrison might be the, I think Marvin Harrison and Brock Bowers might be the two best football players in, in the game. Mm-hmm. But Brock Bowers missed a whole lot of time. Interesting you, interesting you bring his name up. Is that your write-in? I, I think... There's a lot of guys that deserve to be written. <laughs> Bowers didn't play the whole season, though, you know. So that's yeah. kind of a that's kind of a. I think I think you one. could. I, I like your argument, but like, what is 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 Heisman MVP or is Heisman Offensive Player of the Year? Like, because there's a distinct difference, right? Because your Offensive Player of the Year is the best football player of the year, but your MVP, you would argue that well, one team is undefeated, right? And then let, let me kind of using that argument with Bo Nix over Jaden Daniels uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Just saying. Uh, let me, let me ask you a question then. Cause the, 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 the yeah. it's sort of like the, the, the wording on the committee's job is to put the four best teams into the playoff, not the four best resumes or the four, four most deserving teams. Yeah. It's the four best teams. The, they don't give us any direction as voters as to what we are supposed to value. Um, but they, they give us kind of that, some, that loose, seems so odd, but they get, it's, it's, it's because they want to keep it intentionally vague. They say it is for the most outstanding player in college football. And it, and it allows you to sort of beauties in the eye of the beholder to some degree on what you believe makes someone the most outstanding player. It is not, it's intentionally not offensive player of the year. That's the Maxwell award. It is not. That that to me sounds like it is offensive player of the year. Technically. I mean, it could be offensive player, defensive player of the year. It's the the best player in, in, in the NFL is typically not your MVP, like in, in in for the most impressive season. Yeah, because you know when Derrick Henry got the Offensive Player of the Year, he was the best player in football. It felt like at the time he was unstoppable, and and maybe you can make an argument for whoever won Defensive Player of the Year that year. But like that's kind of what I'm getting at. If it's the most outstanding player, are you taking into account that? Marvin Harrison Jr., for example, is playing with a um, proud boy uh, quarterback that's no longer there. Can't believe that dude. He just looks like a proud boy. I can't believe Kyle McCord went into the portal. It's very odd to me um, that that's yeah. what happened. Um, Maybe by the way, portal like a Sparta, like in three hundred. Oh, that's what I think happened. I think they're going. <laughs> I think Ohio State's going big game hunting. They're trying to get a really big name quarterback, and I think that's a bad decision. Uh, there's no nobody wins the championship in the first year of their transfer year except for Cam Newton. He's the only one that's ever done it. Like otherwise, even Joe Burrow needed a second season. You can't. I got. You're not going to get someone better than Kyle McCord out of the portal. It's not going to. Anyway, that's a different story. Know, he, he put me in the portal, and I may be better than Kyle McCord. He Kyle McCord is a top 15 quarterback in college football this past year. Like they, he he was not elite. He was. Go look at his numbers. They they lost one game by six points. How on the road much to of Michigan. that? How much of that is because I don't, of the most wanna, outstanding player in college football, Marvin Harrison Jr.? I don't want to spend time. De- this is like defending. This is like defending Florida State or Alabama. I don't want to defend I am asking Kyle the question, McCord. Does that play into like if you're talking about most outstanding player? 
let me ask you this. So you asked you were, you didn't really ask me a question, even though you said you were going to ask me. Uh, uh, what would what would be your okay. what would be what would be your ballot based on most outstanding? I mean, player? like if it's most outstanding, me personally, Jane Daniels was just fucking electric. Now Michael Penix was too, so I think I would go. Man, that's tough because then I would go into who helped their team more, which maybe is not the way that you should go. I, I guess if it's most outstanding, I think that ooh, that's tough. Um, I so I I try to balance. How do you all, define most outstanding? That's I, what I, I try to ask. Like, how do you I, define it? it? To me, I bal- I try to balance all the different factors. Um, it's not dissimilar from what the committee does to a team. You look at a team and you look at the resume and there's like really good wins. There's margin of victory. There's strength of schedule. There's talent. There's great defensive line versus bad defensive line. Like there's different strengths and weaknesses to a team's resume. I think that's similar to how I look at the Heisman Trophy, which is like, I, I know that Marvin Harrison is a better football player than like the other three guys, probably. <laughs> like he's just... He is better at what he does than what the other three guys do. Yes, it turns into a quarterback award, which I don't don't love. There's a there's a linebacker at NC State that deserves some love. There's an offensive lineman for Oregon State that deserves some love. Like I wish it was more like that. A couple of years ago, Aiden Hutchinson finished second in the voting. Will Anderson was a top five finalist, I think, in that same year. So it it does take something special to break the quarterback thing. I do think Marvin Harrison is better at what he does. I know he's a better wide receiver than Michael Penix as a quarterback, for example. So that's something that I, team success, how big were you in big moments against important teams in big games? And then the Jaden Daniels argument, which is the same argument for Lamar Jackson and Robert Griffin and Tim Tebow, which is, and Caleb Williams last year didn't even win his conference last year. Like the argument is you are just so electric and dynamic and show stopping that people like you're just clearly the most outstanding does that make like i think there's a yeah everybody has a different penix's strength is that they went undefeated and he led that team to an undefeated season i don't think he was more outstanding than bo nix i think bo nix was far more electric and dynamic and outstanding and frankly more efficient more productive you know more of x y and z stuff than michael penix was but if you value the team success that's okay you can do that but they also beat arizona state when michael the offense didn't score a touchdown <laughs> so so there's I thought I thought Michael Penix had too many off nights, too many off games to be considered a, an elite champion. And Daniels, for example, was great against Alabama until he got hurt. He was great on the road against Missouri. He was great against Ole Miss in a loss. It was the defense that cost him that game, right? He, it, the the only time in which Jaden Daniels kind of failed his team was the second half against Florida State in week one. And other than that, he was I mean, I mean I'm a Jane Daniels guy. I think Jane Daniels is it should be your Heisman. Uh, I figured it'd be easy. He's got a 45% big time throw percentage on deep passes of 20 plus yards. And he has a lot of attempts. Uh, 16.6% of his attempts went that way versus 11.3% for Bo Nix, who didn't have a lot of attempts go that far. He's 24.5 yards per attempt on those deep passing plays. Bo Nix is 19.4. I mean, like, Turnover-worthy plays, he had one <laughs> turnover-worthy play out of 55 attempts uh, going deep like that, and Bo Nix had three. And, well, you and know, his... it's not that big of a difference, but, I mean, to me, it's like when you're looking at all these, if you're looking for the most outstanding player, I, I think when you take in the rushing, when you take in the deep passing, when you take in what he means for his team, 
Uh, maybe I'll, I think they're probably even for what he means for his team. But I think when you take into account the schedule that the LSU played versus the schedule that the Pac-12 has to go through, I don't know. I think J- most outstanding, I'd, I'd go Jaden. I don't think I, that hasn't changed for me. I could see arguments for everything. I just thought the scuttlebutt around that not being the case and then Bo Nix being a distant fourth is what it sounds like to me, like from various college people kind of like hinting and talking. I just thought that was very interesting. Well, there's no, there's no way that they should have, there's no way that they should have the results. Uh, It it is complicated. No, it's, I think it's just, I've heard a bunch of people talk about who they would be voting for or who they have voted for or alluded to who they voted for. Like, you know, I've heard people talk about, you know, for example, like Brock Bowers is their third. For for example, for example. For example, just for, for example, off the top of my head, just for example, uh, I, I do think that if you voted before Championship Saturday, you did it wrong. Yes, because because I Championship sa- Championship Saturday sh- Championship Saturday, it, it absolutely changed my ballot. How about it's interesting. that? How about I that? Can't wait to see what this ballot looks like. <laughs> Saturday changed my ballot in two spots. It changed number one and it changed number three. How about that? I like it. All right, there you go. Uh, We will talk to you Monday night after the game. In the meantime, all weekend long, consume some Sinker's beverages. And if you get a little bored during the game because the Dolphins are up by 30, go to the Kingston Group social accounts, buildkg.com's website, and go just peruse their beautiful luxury homes and custom model rebuilds and all that cool stuff. So go check that out. Uh, Kingston Group, buildkg.com. Stackintheinbox.com if you want all the conversation that we just had about the offense. If you want to see it laid out in data form, uh, go go give Zach a few bucks and you're going to get some great coverage uh, all week long this week all the time for that hey, matter. But and I just so you guys know, I just got approved. My senior bowl credentials approved. Be heading down to the senior bowl with Stony coming in uh, end of January and February. We had some great coverage all week last last can year. We get a, that. Can, can we get a three bedroom? Can we get a three bedroom? Get three. We had a four. I think we had a four bedroom last year. So we don't. Stony gonna three. what's Stony gonna say to me if I invite myself on the trip? I don't know. <laughs> all right boys uh thank you all for listening thank you all for hanging out uh football and other f-words all the other sports uh all the other shows from the 440 sports network covering the preds nashville sc all kinds of good content up there SEC football as well so go check that out the 440 sports youtube page give us a sub we do appreciate it share the show tell somebody about it uh it's how we grow and it's how we uh it's how we keep serving you guys here in the national market uh, we do appreciate you guys have a great weekend for zach i am Braden. we'll talk to you on monday night